everyone. Welcome to episode 147 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Happy New Year. Happy 2022, everyone. We're here. We're doing it. Yeah. So we recorded the last episode at the very end of December. And I know we said Happy New Year there because it posted in the new year, but we feel like we can't say it enough. Happy New Year. We know things are still rough out there, but we hope you are finding lots of good books to help with this time. Yeah. Soothe your souls. Yes. Yeah. It's funny in the business world. I know there's always this thing about how long do you say happy new year on emails that you send to people? Cause I'm a, I'm, I'm an enthusiast of the happy new year, but maybe it's about time or midway through the month. We'll just embrace it and move on. Yeah. I think usually for me, I'll say it to people at least once through January. If I don't email somebody until the end of January, I might say it depending on the person. Yeah. But yeah, yeah sometimes it gets old. Right. It's like, all right, we're already in it. Yeah. Well, we have some thank yous. Thank you to new Patreons, Lisa, S, and Nicola. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining our community of supporters. Yeah. And then also Susan H. from California sent a personal donation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we wanted to announce our next read-along. Yeah. Our next read-along and our next year's, or this year's, I should say, theme is going to be Indigenous Writers. I feel like we should have a drum roll. We're really excited about it. We had so many ideas. We did. (laughs) We went back and forth for at least a good six months thinking about what we wanted to do in 2022. Last year, it was nonfiction. The year before, it was translated let. And we both read, I think, quite a few or at least a good handful of books by Indigenous writers in 2021. And we were both wanting to carry that on. We're calling it the Year of Indigenous Writers because we wanted to keep it open internationally as well. Not only Native American or First Nations, but Indigenous. Right. A broad brushstroke is how we're looking at it. So the first book is A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger. We're really excited about it. Her first book was called Elatso. Um, That was her debut. This is her second book. And this was actually nominated for a National Book Award. I think it was longlisted last year. Yeah, her first book was actually considered in the best 100 fantasy novels of all time by Time magazine, which is pretty significant. The book itself, it's available in hardcover at this time. And it's a beautiful book. On the inside, it has end papers that have like a snakeskin. You can feel it. So cool. Yeah. And then make sure you flip over the dust jacket because on the actual printing on the book carries on some of that snakeskin feeling, but then it also has some people. Yeah. It actually has people and then a little frog and a cat. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. A little introduction into the characters, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So this is our, I think this is our 20th our, read along. Yeah. Is our 20th read along. Wow. And the dates for the Zoom chat that we're going to have together is Sunday, February 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Shoot us an email at bookcougars at gmail.com if you want to join in the conversation. And then right now we're planning to talk about it together on the podcast on episode 150, which is scheduled for March 1st. The only thing that might change that is if we manage to get an interview with the author. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Knock on wood. And we do hope that you join us for our Zoom conversation. We'd love to keep it open to everyone. So if you've been wanting to join and you haven't yet, it's never too late to jump in and have a conversation. It's really all about everyone who's there 
contributing whatever they want to. Right. So exactly. However little or however much you have to say. And it always changes my interpretation and feelings about the book that we read, sharing it with everybody else. I love doing that. Yeah. Everyone brings such different perspectives and they have different insights and then they connect it to different books that they've read or life experiences that they've had. It's really intriguing, I think. I agree. The Goodreads thread will also be opened up when this podcast airs. So we will open up the Goodreads thread as well. So you can always have to infinity and beyond a conversation (laughs) on Goodreads about any of our read-alongs. Right. Yeah. And for those of you who are confused because you think, didn't you announce this already? We did announce it in our newsletter. Right. So um, (laughs) that is where you heard it initially because we do like to give newsletter and Patreon folks a little bit of a early peek into things that are coming up. Right. And we were also so excited once we figured it out. We had to share. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Emily, what are you currently reading? I just started Honor by Thridi Umregar. And this has been a book that we've had in our possession for a really long time. We got an arc of it a while back, both an e-arc and a physical arc. And I just didn't get to it. It's out now. It just got picked as a Reese Witherspoon book, which is great for the author. It's got a really cool cover with mangoes on it. If you've seen it at your bookstore, it's very recognizable. But it's a story of a woman and a man who marry. One is Hindi and one is Muslim. And that is not allowed in India. It's very much frowned upon. And the woman's, the bride's, I should say, brothers decide that they need to do something about this. So they light them on fire. And the husband perishes in the fire and the bride, their sister, survives and, you know, has a lot of facial scars and things like that. She's also pregnant when all of this happens. So she ends up bearing the child and lives with her mother-in-law, who's very bitter and angry about the whole situation. And the woman is not treated well. So the story is about a reporter who comes to India, who is Indian-American and had lived in India for a period of time up until I think her early teens. So she's familiar with the culture, she's familiar with the language, and she comes to interview this woman as the court case is brewing also around the brothers. Was it an offense or wasn't it based on the caste culture and how women are treated in India in general? So it's a really interesting story. It's sad. The writing is beautiful. And I'm about 30% in. I'm curious to see where the story is going to go. That sounds really intense. It is. Yeah. And again, it's called Honor by Thridi Umrugar. I wonder about Reese Witherspoon's book club Mm -hmm. and if she called Oprah before she started it and said, (laughs) you know, hey, you know, I don't want you to think I'm stepping on any toes or crouching into your territory, but I'm doing this. Yeah, I mean, I know they're friends. They've been in films together. There's a whole thing afoot in the publishing industry now that like, does it take a movie star or someone famous to make books rise? I think anyone who can get people to read is great. Right. I don't have judgment around it. I mean, I think maybe there's probably more backstory that I don't know about, you know, how it works in the publishing industry. And maybe I'd rather just keep my rose-colored glasses on. (laughs) But I mean, I think 
you know, I know Reese and Jenna Haggerty Bush, she also has a reading book club. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as long as they pick books that have cultural representation and authors from all walks of life, I'm all for it. Yeah. And I think Reese isn't part of her thing looking for movies to produce because she's a producer. And yeah. Yeah. And what she has talked about in the industry as a female in the industry, even a beautiful blonde white female, there aren't good roles written for females. So that's why she took it upon herself to start her production company and to produce things where you see women in all walks of life. I really appreciate that about her. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. What it does to me when I read a book, even an Oprah book or a Reese book, you start picturing it as a movie, which I don't love to do as I'm reading. Mm -hmm. But I could certainly see this one as a movie. Interesting. I mean, that's probably one reason why she's attracted to those books. Yeah. And the publicist or whoever her connection is presents to her. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they must have conference calls. Like, I want to do this book. No, that's taken by Oprah. I right. want to do that book. No, that's taken by Reese. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, how about a book coming out in 2025? Is there anything? Yeah. Well, fortunately, there are plenty of books. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm currently reading The Possessed, Adventures with Russian Books and the People Who Read Them by Elif Batuman. This originally came out in 2010. I am listening to the audio version through Libro.fm, which came out in 2017. And this is a book that Jenny of Reading Envy chose to kick off her year of Russian reading. She's focusing on Russian books this year, novels and nonfiction. I am just, I'm 11 tracks into it. I'm not sure like what percentage that is. You know, it's kind of the author's journey into writing and literature. So it's part memoir and part looking at attitudes towards literature and writing and then certain writers. Mm. I'm assuming focusing on Russian writers, Mm -hmm. although she starts with the anecdote about Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain. Mm. She kind of relates it to her own experience of studying Russian literature for seven years unplanned. So I am reading that. I don't know how deep I'm going to go into the year of Russian reading. I've always wanted to read the Russian greats. I've read some short stories here and there. I did read half of Anna Karenina one year, and we'll see. I know I have one on my upcoming reads that's been languishing on my shelves for a while. But I know, Jenny, I saw her post, too, on Instagram saying it's not the book I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's a big year she's got planned. I mean, mm-hmm. those books for the most part are chunksters, you know? Yeah, some of those yeah. classics and even contemporary ones certainly mm-hmm. are. So far, I'm enjoying it. I like the author's discussion of how her attitudes towards writing and literature and literary study and criticism change as she's exploring her passion and interests and things come up. Yeah. Yeah. So, that is The Possessed by Elif Bautuman. So what did you just read? Well, I had a pretty good two weeks of reading. It was kind of nice to just do nothing but focus on that over the holidays. The first book I read of 2022 was a kid's book that Laura got me for Christmas. It's called Hope at Sea, an adventure story by Daniel Miares. I love this book so much. It is the story about a young girl named Hope whose dad goes to sea regularly and she loves to hear his stories when he comes home but she wants to be part of the adventure she doesn't want to just hear the stories so she decides to become a stowaway 
her dad is on ship. He's the ship's carpenter at this point. He's also seemingly the ship owner. I'm not really sure about that. But it's about her being a stowaway and learning what it's like to be a sailor aboard ship and the hard work that happens. It's set in the 19th century. I'm showing Emily some pictures. The pictures are beautiful. And he's the author and illustrator. Yes, exactly. Overall, I love the depictions of the ship. It has the romance of the era of the wooden tall ships. She's on this ship and things happen. I don't want to give spoilers because it is a new book. It just came out in 2021. For a picture book, you know, it's made for kids, I think, five to eight or so. It was kind of intense. Really? Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And it was twisty. I didn't expect certain things to happen. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So I really want to read more books by Daniel. And I really enjoy his illustration. I wrote a blog post about it, and I chose this picture. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Yeah. They're leaving from New England. It looks like colonial New England seaside town. And they're traveling to the West Indies. And it's a two-page spread. The back of the boat shows gray New England icebergs, a whale. It's snowy and everything. And then the front of the ship on the other facing page is sunny and bright. It's tropics. There's palm trees, guys diving off into the water. And I just thought that was such a clever way to show the passage of time and also travel. Right, the journey itself. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think it was a really charming story about a dad and his daughter or a daughter and her father, however you want to look at that and the love between them and his caring and wanting to help fulfill her sense of adventure and wanting to learn. That was Hope at Sea by Daniel Mayeris. I just finished I Came All This Way to Meet You by Jamie Attenberg. I have been reading this book for months, actually. It's funny. I am not usually that kind of reader. I got it as a digital arc a long time ago. So it's been kind of my book that I've been reading between books in the middle of the night when I can't sleep because the the e-reader. Jamie Attenberg, this is her first work of nonfiction. It's a memoir. She's known for several books. I think she's written at least four fiction novels now, including St. Maisie and the Middlesteens. It's a memoir about her creative life and how she came to devote herself to her writing full time. So she takes us back in time and talks about the different jobs she's had and when she felt like she was successful enough to give up her day job, so to speak, and become a full-time writer. She talks a lot about the different places she's lived, the adventures she's gone on. It's funny. I love her writing. Hands down, her writing is fantastic. I had a really hard time with the book until I talked to our buddy Russell, who was on the last episode. And he said, I loved it because I thought she was so real. And I was like, oh, that's a really good way to look at it. And I realized what I was having a hard time with is that I can't really identify with her life. She's a woman who's been single and living the life that she wants to live through her creativity and admittedly, unapologetically making mistakes along the way. And I was like, oh, right. (laughs) I get it now. Because it felt very unlinear to me, back and forth and here and there. And then I just realized like, oh, she's just living a life that I just don't recognize. Mm. Therefore, so glad I read it, right? Right, yeah. And very thankful that there are people who are willing to take what I consider to be kind of risks to live a creative life so that we can have art, right? Mm -hmm. 
It just came out. Pub date was Tuesday of this week. Oh, wow. So it is available now. And she's on tour, like physical tour, too. So you might be able to catch her somewhere. Yeah, I'll post her website in the show notes. Again, it's called I Came All This Way to Meet You by Jamie Attenberg. Great title, too. That is a a great title, especially when you're on tour. I'm sure there's a lot of um, (laughs) different ways you can utilize that. Yes, for sure. The next book I read was my first novel of the year, which I started this last year by reading an Alice Hoffman novel. Last year, I read Practical Magic to kick off the year. She's one of Emily's favorite authors, and I'm familiar with the Practical Magic series, the movie, whatnot, and I thought, I need to read this finally. So I loved it last year. And so this year, I wasn't sure what order to go in because the most recent book in the series goes back in time to the beginning. The second book follows the sisters that were in Practical Magic. So I went back and forth, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to go in publishing chronological order because that's usually my jam. But I couldn't get the book anywhere. It was on waiting lists, both the physical copy and the audio copy. And this book came out years ago. Yes, that one did for sure, yeah. And so I thought, well, okay, I have an arc, thanks to the publisher who had sent us Magic Lessons. I read it digitally as they had sent that review copy. It came out in 2020, Magic Lessons, which goes back to the beginning of this curse that the Owens family, that's part of the series, that they have this curse that any man who loves them is cursed, right? Mm -hmm. It goes back to the beginning where the Maria Owens who cast this curse, it's her story. So she is found by Hannah Owens as an abandoned baby in this winter field with a crow looking over her. Hannah is a practitioner of the art with no name and takes little Maria and raises her. And this is back in England, in Essex County in England. Well, the Owen sisters end up in America, and you find out how and why Maria ended up in America. And her story, I mean, she goes around The family relationships are intriguing, the love relationships between men and women or mother and daughter. The thing about Alice Hoffman is she's all about love Mm -hmm. and choosing love whenever you can. And Maria Owens, due to the situation that she's in, she's betrayed by a man cruelly in a multitude of ways. And that's why she casts this curse. So the rest of the book is kind of her struggle with it. She has a daughter, and maybe halfway through, it's hard to tell because, you know, I read it as a digital copy, but maybe halfway through the novel, the daughter, Faith, her story becomes more of the arc. And so we see her development, which at first I was like, oh, I want to read more about Maria. Like, I don't want to leave. But then I became intrigued by Faith and her story. So along the way, there are good men and bad men, good women, bad women, What I like is that there's no pure evil. The badness, and I say that in quotation marks, is people's choices. Are they following their heart? Or are they bowing to the conventions of whatever society they find themselves in? So the man who betrays Maria, I'm going to drop a spoiler. It's John Hawthorne, who was a real man who existed in the 1600s. He was one of the main judges in the Salem witch trials. And he was also the great-great-grandfather of Nathaniel Hawthorne. The thing about John Hawthorne in real life is he never recanted. He never expressed any regret for the women he murdered and what happened. That is something that haunted Nathaniel Hawthorne and is represented in his own writing. So I kind of like what Alice Hoffman did with that character and Maria 
and how they met and how things unfolded and the struggle that they both had. It just seems so real and so present, even though it's a story that takes place in the 1600s. I absolutely loved it. It was a great way to start the year. The rules of magic, I just have to say them real quick. Do as you will, but harm no one. What you give will be returned threefold. Fall in love whenever you can. <laughs> I love that. That was such a good boy, Chris. You, oh, it just makes me want to read it again. Yeah. I mean, this is a book. As a, I, I'm going to get a copy for myself to have on the shelf next to Practical Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next year, I'm going to start the year with the third book. I just really enjoy Alice Hoffman's writing so much. I can see why she's your favorite or top. Yeah, she's a great writer. For people who are still wanting to read these books, when I heard an interview with Alice Hoffman, when people query her, you know, what order should I read them in? She said she doesn't have a strong feeling that you can read the prequel and then go, or you can read them as Chris struggled to decide from pub date. Because she wrote them as she felt compelled to write them. Right. She never really thought she'd go back and do the prequel, and she did. She has said this is it for right. the series. Yeah. But she has I, other books in her, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I, one of the interviews I read, you know, somebody asked if she does a lot of research, which it's evident she does a lot of research. Yeah. But it's not, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel forced. And she also writes a lot about plants and nature and kind of remedies that you can use with plants. And she does have references that she uses for all of that. Yeah, green magic. She has an extensive magic library with all of these different traditions. So, wow, I can't imagine what that library must be like. Yeah, I would love to go visit it. Yeah. Hey, Alice, (laughs) if you're listening. Yeah, we'd love to meet you. (laughs) So again, that was Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman. Highly recommend. Nice. For those of you who listened to the last episode, there was discussion at the end of what do you do? Do you start your book on the first day of the year? What do you do? Well, I had two days between finishing a book and the new year coming. So I was looking for something super fast paced that I could read. I had some time. I was doing some cooking. So I did a joint read audiobook of Falling by T.J. Newman. And this was because I walked down to the little free library in our neighborhood and there was a copy of the book. It was one of those books that really took off last year and hit the New York Times bestseller list. I saw interviews with T.J. Newman. This was a debut novel she wrote that is about hostage situation on an airplane. So I will say, if you have any anxiety about flying, this might not be the book for you. But she was a flight attendant, as was her mother and her sister. So she knows a lot about being a flight attendant. I saw an interview with her where she said, People think that we're trained to hand out Coke and coffee. That's actually the last thing we're trained on. We're trained on a bunch of safety measures and how to save people, how to keep people calm, how to deal with life-threatening situations that happen on airplanes. And that really shows in the writing of this book. It's incredibly fast-paced, and it's really from the vantage point of flight attendants when something starts to occur on an airplane. And I just want to read the first sentence of the book, because this gives you some insight. When the shoe dropped into her lap, the foot was still in it. She flung it into the air. And then I'm not going to say anything else. (laughs) 
Oh my. <laughs> but I was like, what the what? And then I just couldn't stop from there. So I started by reading it. And then I got the audiobook from Libro.fm narrated by Stephen Weber. It's about Bill, who's the pilot, and he is on the plane about to take off when he gets a message that his family is being held hostage. They want him to crash the plane or they will kill his family. Mm. And that's all I'm going to say. Except that there is political motivation for why they want to crash the plane. Okay. I don't want to talk about it at all because it's really in the unfolding of the story, of course, that it's important. But that surprised me. Not that I had really thought too much about what the story was about. But I thought that was handled really well. And when I saw an interview with the author, she wrote this over the course of 10 years, largely on these long international flights that she was working on where people would sleep a lot during them at night. And so she would write on even cocktail napkins, she said. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Again, it's called Falling by T.J. Newman. It was the perfect, quick read, high plot action for my little gap between the book that I wanted to start on January 1st. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did something I don't normally do. I did read a book from one year into the next. I'm really glad I did. It was Rebecca Harding Davis, A Life Among Writers by Sharon M. Harris. I had started it in the spring, put it down because of school, picked it back up. It is one of those really dense, it's from an academic press, West Virginia uh, University Press, that's just so detailed from cradle to grave, looking at Rebecca Harding Davis's life and times. And I really enjoyed it. The last couple sessions, I just was reading an hour every morning. So it was a great way to bridge the two years in a lot of ways. One of the things about reading cradle to grave biographies is like, you know, they're going to die. Mm. And this was still so sad. I got teary-eyed just thinking about her life and how things changed within her family and within the United States and within publishing. She had a really great life. She was known for writing socially realistic novels and short stories. She wrote essays for newspapers and literary journals. She wrote so broadly and so prolifically. She was married to a guy named Clark who was an editor himself and a writer, and they had such a great relationship. He supported her from day one. And when they moved to Philadelphia and and she was writing and needed time to think, he contacted the head librarian at the Philadelphia Public Library and said, I'd like you to put a table aside in a quiet area reserved for my wife so she can do her research and writing because she is very highly respected writer and she needs this. And she had that space for decades. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. She was born in Pennsylvania, lived for a time as a child in Alabama, and then mainly was in Wheeling, West Virginia, until she got married and they moved to Philadelphia. But as Clark and Rebecca's financial situation stabilized, they started spending a lot of summers on the Jersey Shore. They ended up buying a cottage there and then... They became really influential cultural people, both in the arts and in politics. Clark was a highly respected Republican politician, and this is Republican of Abraham Lincoln Party. And they became friends with presidents like Grover Cleveland and his wife, Frances, I believe. They were really good friends. Clark also, he had met Harrison. He also then met Roosevelt. And the country paid attention to his 
editorials on politics. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked because it's just so fascinating, both of them, all of them really, because they had three kids, two boys and a girl. The daughter ended up more being drawn to social activities, and then she was also a major companion to her mom. But the two sons became major authors in their own right. One became a war correspondent. The other one eventually got into writing films and stuff. What Sherry Harris does a lot is look at the tensions in her writing. She was very progressive, especially towards racial issues. So she's very supportive of African-Americans, Native Americans. But then she was also of her time and often replicated stereotypes and was kind of paternalistic at times as well. Hmm. But I haven't read that much by Rebecca Harding Davis. I read Life in the Iron Mills and a couple short stories But there are a couple novels that I earmarked in the book to maybe try and track down and read because I'm curious about that. She was always very much about the quality of her writing, but the financial aspect was always present as well. She wanted to publish in the best places she could, but the money had to be there at the same time, which I think was very wise. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. So huge book. Um, It just came out in 2018. Rebecca Harding Davis, A Life Among Writers by Sharon M. Harris. Highly recommend it if you're into biographies of women writers or the 19th century or publishing history. I finished a memoir that I was so excited to get an early copy of. It's called In Love, A Memoir of Loss in Love by Amy Bloom. This comes out on March 8th. Amy Bloom is a local author to us. She lives literally down the street. And she suffered a really sad loss where her husband, Brian, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And he chose to end his own life. The memoir is really about their decision to do that. And how do you do that in the country that we live in? Amy Bloom's writing, she is witty. She just uses such candor for a subject that is really fraught. I mean, it's particularly fraught, I think, in our country. And part of why it becomes fraught around something like Alzheimer's is the question of, is someone of sound mind and body to make decisions about themselves? So a lot of her book talks about that. And what she does is she weaves chapters about how they met, because they met very late in life in their 50s. They were both in relationships. They met and fell in love and got married, had a very happy life. Brian, her husband, was kind of a larger-than-life person. He had graduated from Yale. He played football. He was a big, gregarious person. And she started to kind of just notice some things were off. And eventually, they come to find that he has early signs of Alzheimer's, which probably stems from his days as a football player. So she is put to the task after he makes the statement that he wants to basically die on his feet is how he says it. I don't want to become a burden. I don't want to not know where I am, you know, the whole thing. And so she weaves these chapters of when they've met and just day-to-day parts of their life with then their visit to Zurich to go to Dignitas, which is a place where you are allowed to end your own life. But they have very distinct rules about how you go about that, lots of steps in the process, which she talks about in the book. I thought I would just read a portion of when they're in Zurich and they're going to meet the doctor for the first time. And again, one of their concerns is that there haven't been any depressive 
moments that this person is making the decision that's right for them, which means you have to do it early in your illness, right? So this is Monday evening, January 27th, 2020 in Zurich. As I understand it, Dr. G is both our guide through the process and a possible speed bump. Brian's clear on everything except the day and date, and I make the decision that the day and the date cannot be important because drilling him on it frightens us and wears us out. The friend of a friend who'd brought her father with brain cancer to Dignitas told me that it was very important that Brian open the hotel room door, showing that he's in charge of the process. I tell Brian this, and he nods, but I can tell he's not going to jump up at the first knock. Brian is not someone who rushes, in parentheses, period, which I loved, (laughs) to host at any gathering we've ever had. He loves being the guest, and he makes up for it by doing a ton of dishes after. I don't know how to make sure he answers the door or even if it's important. I just keep saying, the doctor's going to knock on our hotel room door. I'm also worried about etiquette. Will the doctor expect a cup of tea? Does he look like the Grim Reaper? No and no. So that's just an example of her style of writing and also new terrain, right? They don't know what they're stepping into, but it's part of this journey that they're on. And she shares it so seamlessly at a time where, I mean, this was all taking place in 2020. She wrote this over the course of 2021, I think. Very fresh and new. She even talks about after, spoiler alert, he does go through the process at Dignitas and ends his life you know, getting on an airplane in Zurich and coming home without her husband, Mm. right? Yeah. Incredible memoir, just really amazing. And also, I feel like I had the opportunity to work recently at a foundation that was doing a lot of funding around end-of-life issues, advanced care directives, things like that. And it just made me really aware that that's all really important things that we need to be looking at and people don't want to talk about it. So kudos to Amy Bloom for sharing this information with the world. Absolutely. It's so important. Emily and I, we've talked before about how we treat animals, our pets better sometimes when it comes to this issue of when is it time? And I think it's really great that people are starting to talk about it more. Organizations are starting to look into it and that there are organizations that help people yeah. to do it in a way that is ethically sound. Yeah. Because you know it's a slippery slope. It can trigger a lot of things for people when other people have been medically acted upon when they didn't know they were being acted upon in that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And she definitely chronicles in the book about other people's reactions to their decision, including Mm -hmm. family and friends and her children and their grandchildren. I mean, it's a very poignant book. And I felt in good hands with her writing around it. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. I'm, I'm sure this is the kind of issue that depending on one's own experience with loved ones dying, really shapes how you view this issue. And I have to say, after watching loved ones die in a variety of ways. I think it's really important that people have an option like this. Yeah. Personal choice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that was called In Love, A Memoir of Loss and Love by Amy Bloom. Pub date on that is March 8th. Thank you. I'm glad you read that. Well, next up for me is a book that's going in the opposite direction. It's all about juicy sex. (laughs) Right on. Growing up. Um, (laughs) 
I listened to Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown. And this is a book I've read before in the past. And Libro.fm had an advanced listener copy that I was able to listen to. It's coming out January 25th, 2022 from Blackstone. The book itself actually came out in 1973. So it's been a while. I know I read it sometime in the 80s. And it's a coming-of-age novel, loosely based on Rita Mae Brown's life. She grew up poor in Pennsylvania, lived in Florida for a time, and then took off for New York City at a young age. Rita Mae Brown, the writer, is really against labels, but the character is a lesbian, and there's a lot of sex, heterosexual sex, lesbian sex, and it's such a free experience, except for, of course, women who are having sex with men or sperm producers, as she calls them at one point, (laughs) especially in the 60s when this is set, birth control was a different animal than it is these days. So young women find themselves pregnant unwantedly. But I really like the character Molly Bolt. It starts when she's really young, a little kid, and she's a, quote, bastard. So that's a big thing from the beginning of the book until the end. So it chronicles from her being a young kid, I don't know, six or eight, something like that, up until she's graduating from college, finally in her 20s, I would say, like maybe later 20s, because she works full time to put herself through school. Lots of sex. You can tell it's like pre-AIDS, that freedom to just go for it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a really good coming of age novel that I think really holds its own. I don't think it's dated. But this was a new production. Yes. It is a new production read by Anna Paquin. Yeah, she's an actress. Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought overall I enjoyed it. It's a very short audiobook. It's six hours, 27 minutes, which is on the shorter side, I think. So if you're curious at all about the novel, I would check it out. I forgot some parts about it that at one point Molly is working for a publisher That's kind of a fun era of her life. It just kind of made me a little nostalgic for my own early years. (laughs) Lots of wild fun. So that's Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown. And reminder that we have an affiliate program with Libro.fm. And if you use Book Cougars, you get two books for the price of one. And that's in our show notes. Yeah, we do get a little kickback from that. But also independent bookstores get a kickback which is great. They have a general fund, I think, and you can select whatever independent bookstore you want to benefit from your purchases. So I know I have mine set up to benefit Bank Square Books and Mystic, who is also our bookstore affiliate. Yeah, I think I do Savoy, so okay. <laughs> which they are owned by the same people. So. We got them covered. Yeah. Well, the book that I started on New Year's Day was the tome, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois, and I loved it. This book is 800 pages long. I did listen to both the audiobook and read it. Per Russell's idea, I did both at the same time quite often. And then if I would go on a walk or something, I would just listen to the audiobook. It is narrated by three different people, Anarel Ojo, Karen Chilton, and Prentice Onayemi. Prentice only reads the portions that are quotes from W.E.B. Du Bois books. So those are at the beginning of different sections of the book. The narration was wonderful. It really added to my experience of reading the book. 
I will say that at the front of the book, there are literally pages of family tree. Yeah. So <laughs> you showed those to me one night. It almost oh. made me want to put it down. And, and I should say that also that I did almost put this book down a couple times. Okay. And about halfway through, Russell happened to text me. He's like, how's it going? And I said, I'm not sure if I can do it. He said, why? And I said, so many trigger warnings here in this book. I mean, so much incest, so much rape, so much one section of the book, drug abuse. It is not an easy book to read, but it is a masterpiece. Mm. And he said just the right words I needed at that time, because the story centers around Ailey Pearl, who's a young woman. She is the main character in the book, but there's tons of family around her. And he said, I quote, I don't think Ailey will disappoint you. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's just the hope I needed right now. So I kept on. Thank you, Russell. (laughs) It spans quite a long time from colonial slavery up to current day. Many characters, including some Cherokee family members. And what Honoré is doing with this book is really exploring the idea of W.E.B. Du Bois's double consciousness, which is the conflict of being someone who is a subordinated class trying to live under the gaze of the oppressor. I feel like by reading this, I got a better understanding, even though, of course, I know it, of how intermixed we are as a people in this country, but yet how problematic that is, right? Mm -hmm. But it can't be denied, And I think that's what she does so well. There are chapters that are in present day with Allie's current life as an adult. There are chapters where she's a young child. And then there are chapters that go way back to her ancestors, way back in time to serious slavery. It's really upsetting. Mm. And it's also upsetting because what you learn is that white children didn't have rights either. So imagine what black slave children's rights looked like. Some of the history is of the main slaveholder, Samuel. He would just go purchase white kids and just put them in his house and use them for his bidding, not to mention what he would do with his black slaves. I learned a lot about history, but I also did end up feeling hopeful. And I also thought what Honoré did with weaving the conversation about W.E.B. Du Bois and his writing that he did about black people. She did that literally with quotes, like I said, in these different sections. But then there are also characters in the book that discuss his writing and who he is and what he means to them. Really amazing book. Worth the time to read, but not an easy read. And I have to admit, I did put it down to read Amy Bloom's memoir, which... (laughs) was also had some darkness, but the way that she wrote it, I didn't feel that way. So I've had a couple people reach out on the social medias about, is it worth it? How long did it take? It took me about nine days to read. That was with, again, the audiobook and reading it and being very devoted. Right. Yeah. I was really surprised when you said you finished it. It seemed like you whipped through it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those books where you want to do that. But I did almost set it down halfway and just Mm -hmm. feel like, ooh, this is way too hard. So again, thanks to Russell for 
encouraging me to carry on with it. I also was inspired to make sweet potato pie because she talks a lot about sweet potato pie in this book. I lost track of the number of times I've never made a sweet potato pie. It's delicious. The picture you took of it looked good. I know. I said to Jim, we should share a piece of this with our neighbor, (laughs) but we ate it all, people. But I'll just have to make another one. I think, one. was that the day it was so cold? It was. Yeah. It was freezing. That's the excuse I used. Like, <laughs> sorry, I can't walk 50 feet to share with my neighbor. I'm just going to eat it all. <laughs> so again, the book is called The Love Song of W.E.B. Du Bois by Honoré Fannin Jeffers. The book I read, the next novel, is called The Swells by Will Aitken. He's a Canadian writer. This is the first book of his I've read. He does have others. This is a book I picked up at the House of Books in Kent, and I really enjoyed it. It's a satire, which is probably the first satire I've read that I've really enjoyed because I get frustrated with them. I feel like, okay, 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 yes, yes, we've heard that, yeah. Like you don't think it's funny? Is that why? Well, I don't usually think they're funny. I think they usually beat things to death. Mm, And I say that very specifically because it does feel like... Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just made a funny face. But this one, it really drew me in and it went down so fast. I read it basically in two sittings. It was an intriguing setup. It's a woman, Bryony, the uh, main character's name, and she is a travel writer. She writes for a luxury magazine for rich people. At the very beginning, so this isn't too spoilery, she's at this swank restaurant sitting next to this huge tank with like a stingray in it waiting for her fancy, you know, meal to come. And her, I don't know if it's her editor or the owner of the magazine's been sold. And so now um, everyone's been, you know, pretty much laid off and let go. But they're keeping her on to write stories. And I think she'll get like $250 per 500 word story, and she's required to write one a month. That's it. But all her expenses are paid when she travels. So she (laughs) sells her apartment, she sells everything, and she decides to just live on wherever she is, all expenses paid. And her clothing, I think, is paid for too, because she has to look wealthy. She's absolutely not. You know, she's making $250 a month. So she's on this cruise, and it's a cruise filled with wealthy, wealthy people. We're talking like huge wealth. And they're mostly very old and white from all over the world. And here she is. She's a young, white, Canadian woman. Of course, as a lot of people know, on a lot of cruise ships, most of the staff are people of color from around the world. Different cruise lines tend to have people of color from different countries, from what I understand. And so what happens is there's a revolt, (laughs) The servants, the workers, take over the ship and they make all of the rich white people do all the work. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of it is absurd, which is part of satire. So some of it is really absurd and it made me laugh anyway and other things I rolled my eyes at. So I guess I won't say too much about the details of it. Well, I mean, that's the point because they're trying to point out the absurdity of it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this book focused more on race and class. Mm-hmm. So it felt kind of like the love boat having a class uprising and ending up in the heart of darkness is kind of what it felt like <laughs> to me. <laughs> There's a woman, Mrs. Moore, who's an old white woman. 
who Bryony falls for. So basically the two main characters are lesbians, an old one and a young one. And so one of the things I feel that's lacking in this book, because I did feel like something was lacking when I finished it, it's any kind of commentary on patriarchy Mm. or sexism. And it's almost like sexist itself or patriarchal in itself, blaming the white women for things. So it's kind of confusing. So I, I don't know if I missed something or if that was the point to make people think, or not the point, but a point, right. is to make people wonder about that. You know, because lesbians are kind of like on the lower end of the totem pole of womanhood, traditionally, in Western culture. So to kind of put it on their shoulders, what happens, I thought was an interesting choice. Hmm. And you just kind of see the dangers of that. It's also a cautionary tale about messing with people's lives. So it's a dark book. It does have humor. Obviously, it's satire. And I did laugh at times. I also really felt for some of these characters at other times. And in the end, there is growth. You know, some people who you thought were one thing were something else, but then they are something else again. So there's that kind of whole thing of how we perceive people and how people respond to pressure, and how some can work under pressure and others can't. You learn about some things about how a ship operates, especially regarding poop and pee. (laughs) (laughs) Poop and pee. I guess this is the second episode in a row where poop is mentioned. Yes. So um, hopefully this is not a trend for the rest of the year. But I recommend this book. If you have any interest in satire, or books set at sea in a ship. I remember Simon from the readers always hated books set on ships. He just didn't oh, like funny. them. Yeah. So I'm here to restore balance in the universe because I love books set on ships. It actually came out, the publication date is 2022, even though I bought it in t- late 2021. So I thought that was interesting. But, you know, some books don't have strict late on dates. And this was by Canadian publisher, The House of... Anansi. Have you heard of them before? Anansi is a spider, isn't it? I don't know. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. The Swells by Will Aitken. Out now. So talking about Just Read, we compiled our listener top tens of 2021. Holy smokes. (laughs) Yes, thank you to everyone who (laughs) sent in your top 10 list ish top 10 ish list yes we, we got say. a lot of ishes <laughs> a lot of 11s we understand we completely. totally get it yeah <laughs> we ished on our episode too so we can't have any judgment so okay i'm sorting the list i'm going to sort it by numbers of mentions and we had two tied for first place most mentioned and that was the house in the cerulean sea by tj clune and then braiding sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Which was one of our read-alongs. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. I had heard of that T.J. Klune book, and the cover is very recognizable. But people really say it's like a feel-good book, just kind of an easy read, feel-good book. So I'm going to check that one out for sure. We had 157 books total, but there were some that were duplicates. There were several that were mentioned a couple times, I think. Yeah, Yang Yasi was a couple times both homegoing And her new book, Transcendent Kingdom, were both there with several people listing them. Yeah, I loved it. It also made me kind of, I don't know if sad's the right word or stressed out because I saw there were so many books I wanted to read. And I thought I would just mention three that really popped out at me. 
One is called Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. And what caught my eye about this one is the author, Anne Youngson, is a 70-year-old debut novelist. Awesome. Rock on. Yeah. And it's hailed by NPR as the charmer of the summer. That was last summer. And I believe it's an epistolary novel. So that's intriguing to me. I love those. And then the other one that caught my eye was We Ride Upon the Sticks by Quan Berry. Hmm. Talk about an Alice Hoffman-esque book. It's about a sports team in Danvers, Mass., which was the home of the witch trials in 1692. But it's now current day in 1989, I should say. I still think of that as current day. (laughs) Not current day was part of my childhood, I guess, where the Danver Falcons are trying to win the state finals. They're a female sports team, and they're going to use all of their powers. I'm saying that in quotes. And then the other one that caught my eye was The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. And this was winner of the Australian Book Industry Award. It's a fiction, but it's based on the real women whose work on the Oxford English Dictionary went largely unheralded. Hmm. That's a quote from the New York Times. And then Geraldine Brooks says, it's a marvelous fiction about the power of language to elevate or repress. That sounds so good. That does sound good. I'm going to check that one out. A couple authors, too, had multiple books. Alice Henderson was mentioned, her new series. There were a couple Elizabeth Strout books. Olive again, and O. William. I know. It reminded me of O. William, which I believe came out last year, which I haven't gotten to. All right. Jane Austen made the list with Emma in Pride and Prejudice. Good to see some classics happening there. Oh, Willa Cather. There were The Song of the Lark and Lucy Gayhart made the list. Sharing the Willa Cather love. Woohoo, Willa. Yeah. So I think those are the multiple books by the same author. Oh, Louise Penny. I, yeah. 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 Lots of people (laughs) sucking that fresh air up, I should say, up in Three Pines, even if it is full of murder. You know, I think the thing about that series is the murders do happen all over the place. They're not always in Three Pines. So it's not like murder she wrote. Yeah. Which, you know, it's like if they did keep happening there, one would think you'd want to move eventually. Mm -hmm. I'd be suspect. Yeah. Well, I know people have made that comment. Like, oh, it's such a tranquil, (laughs) lovely place. Everyone wants to live there, but then people keep dying. Right. So, but yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so I've compiled this into both a spreadsheet and on our bookshop.org page as one of our lists. 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 Yeah, Yeah. you can make lists there of different subjects or authors and stuff. So it's our 2021 read listeners top 10. And if you want a copy of the spreadsheet, I know a few of you wanted that last year, just send us an email to bookcougars at gmail.com and we can send you the list. If you look at it through the bookshop.org page, I know this sounds obvious, but you can read about each of the books as you click on them, which yeah. is nice. Click the synopsis. Oh, I just noticed S.A. Cosby, both of his books are on here too, or two of his books, I should say, his two recent ones, Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears. Yeah. It's yeah. a great list. Like I said, it's inspiring and also kind of like, oh my gosh, so many books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but such diversity. I mean, really, yeah. really wide range of types of books. I enjoy that. We have great readers. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So Biblio Adventures, have you gone on any? I had two couch Biblio Adventures. I finally got a chance to watch Passing on Netflix. This is a movie based on the novel by Nella Larson. It takes place in the 1920s. 
The movie is shot in black and white. It's beautiful. That's very cool. Oh, it's so beautifully done. And it all takes place in Harlem in the 1920s. The costumes were beautiful. The acting was phenomenal. Just to remind people, this book by Nella Larson came out a long time ago. It's having a bit of a renaissance. It's about two women, Irene and Claire, who are friends. They grew up together in Harlem. Both of them are very light-skinned black women. One of them moves to Chicago and is passing as white, marries a white man who's very racist. The other stays in Harlem, marries a black man who's a doctor. They're very comfortable in their life there, and they have two children Claire, who is passing for white, comes back to New York to visit. They meet at a hotel and rekindle their friendship. And then Claire kind of tries to step back into the life in Harlem, but realizes that she's lost a lot of her context in her black world by passing for white and also by being married to a racist. So Mm -hmm. it's about their friendship together and how their lives intertwine again. It has a very shocking ending, both the book and the movie. That's is, all it pretty, is it a pretty faithful adaptation? It is. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. I enjoyed it. And the director is Rebecca Hall, who's a famous actress in her own right. This is her directorial debut, and she did a phenomenal job. I was really paying attention because I had listened to an interview with her, and she does some really cool stuff with the camera and mirrors. And mirroring is an interesting idea, right, with colorism and all of that. So I thought it was really well done. And I know it's on Netflix. I'm sorry. It is only available streaming, I believe. And then I watched Oprah's book club on Apple TV with her conversation with Honoree Fannin Jeffers on the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. It was a really nice conversation. Honoree was so excited, you could tell. (laughs) You know, she's a poet. She was nominated for a National Book Award for her poetry. At one point, Oprah said to Honoree, yeah, I've read your poetry. And she was like, you have? That makes you and my cousin and my mother, you know, (laughs) something like that. It was really cute. One of the things she talked about that I thought was so interesting, because here she is a poet, and then her first novel is this 800-page book. She said she actually sat down to write a short story. Oh, geez. I know, about this woman, Ailey, and she thought it would be maybe have some love in it, just be kind of a fun little short story about her life. And then she started to have these very vivid dreams, which she realized were like Ailey's ancestors talking to her. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's when she set out to write this incredibly dense story about this woman and her ancestors. I thought the conversation was really sweet. I think Honoré's definitely been shocked by the success of the book. And it was fun to kind of see that, you know, in her eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really didn't have a biblio adventure. The closest I came was going to Gillette Castle and walking around the grounds the other day. William Gillette was a actor who was the one who originated the role of Sherlock Holmes on stage and then in screen. So he really kind of set the aesthetics for what Sherlock Holmes looked like with the cape and the hat and the pipe and things like that. Earlier adaptations, you see that kind of thing. But in the newer ones with Cumberbatch, is that how you say his name? Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, very different looking. Obviously, it's set in the modern world as well. The hat and the cape and the pipe are kind of gone. Definitely with Robert Downey Jr. 
He doesn't look like that at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, brings in the opium because Sherlock Holmes did opium and, right. you know, he wasn't this clean cut upstanding fellow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but Gillette Castle is a fascinating thing. William Gillette had it built. It's a very unique stone. From a distance, to me, it always looks a little bit like, kind of like when you see pictures of the Titanic down below in the ocean with all of the stuff streaming from it. And it kind of looks like that from far away, but it's actually stone work. Right. It's not brick, it's stone. The inside is very unique as well. It's kind of rustic. And he had one of the first fire suppression systems of its day. So really neat. If you're in Connecticut or anywhere in New England driving by, it's worth a swing in to see it. I've just walked around the grounds that day, but Laura and I once stumbled upon it before we lived in Connecticut and did the indoor tour when it was decked out for Christmas. And so it was really beautiful. Yeah. So any upcoming jaunts on your schedule? You know what? I have one. It is a Zoomy. It's with a friend of mine through the Willa Cather Foundation. So it's online. It's Thursday, January 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 Central. And it is with Linda Beck Fenwick, whose recent book is called Prairie Bachelor, The Story of a Kansas Homesteader and the Populist Movement. It's looking at this gentleman's diary that he kept for years. He was involved in the populist movement that swept the country in the late 19th century. She'll be talking about O Pioneers and this book as well and the populist movement within Cather's fiction. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. We'll put that link in the show notes. And I'm signed up also for Zoom. Reading Across Rhode Island this year is doing their kickoff on Thursday, January 25th at 7 p.m. virtually. And the book they're reading is The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully, which I loved. So I'm really curious to hear her talk about it. And I think they're going to announce the different events and things that will be taking place across, at least for a, a period of time, months, but I don't know if it's the whole year. All right, now, upcoming reads, we are going to be talking a little bit about our plans for 2022, what directions we want our reading to go in. Yeah. So goals. I'm calling them determinations. Determinations, aspirations, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Resolutions and goals can be kind of tricky. Yeah. I mean, you know, because they kind of make you feel trapped sometimes. Or high pressure, I feel like. Mm. That's sometimes how I feel about them because I'm an upholder. So once I say I'm going to do it, even if my arm gets cut off, you're going to be sure I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that sometimes takes the fun out of reading. Yeah. You for know, sure. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that, that their reading actually goes down and they don't understand why. And maybe it's because you're making yourself follow through on certain things that are just not bringing you joy anymore. Right. Or what we've talked about is a lot of it's about time and place. So you might set some goals for yourself and then find it's just not working for whatever's happening in your life at the time. So what you got on tap? I have two pages. Oh, wow. You go. No, it's not. It's really, it is. <laughs> it printed as two pages. But so I'm going to do my usual goal. This is a goal of 52 books. I usually do more than that. But I had started that many moons ago thinking like if I read one book a week, I'll be a happy camper. So I'll be doing that. I do want to focus more on the books I own. I did a lot of retail therapy last year. And for me, that means buying books and sometimes office supplies. 
So I would like to read from my own shelves. And there are a lot of ton of like backlist books that I've been wanting to get to. So that's my main thing. How about you? I too did the 52 book thing. I always do that on my reading challenge on Goodreads. That too feels good to me. It feels attainable. I do love setting up the reading challenge every year because I feel like it's such an easy way for me to track my reading life. I mean, even for preparing for our episodes, I always open up Goodreads and say, okay, what did I read between last episode and this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some specific things I have on my list is I'm continuing on with the Willa Cather short story project, which is reading one short story of hers a month. And that is going through, I think, sometime in 2023. I was just thinking this morning as I was looking at my reading intentions for the year, when this is over, I think I might choose another writer who did short stories because it's been a really good way to consume short stories, which I don't often do unless I have this kind of structure. I'm so admiring of that because I was looking at what I said I was going to do last year and short stories was on there. And I look at my collections all the time and I'm just not in the habit of it. I will say where I tend to consume short stories, and they're probably not even short stories, they're probably more essays, is online. Mm -hmm. Because I'll be reading something, you know, I don't know, be on Twitter or something, and everyone's in a state about something that someone wrote, and then that's how I go and I find it and I consume it that way. But I love how your short story project has gotten you to pick up collections and read stories out of them. Yeah. I might copy you on that this year. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Highly. We're going to have our indigenous writers. We'll be doing one book a quarter as we usually do. And then also we are in cahoots with Jenny again at Reading Envy to do a joint read along, which will add a fifth book. So more on that to come. The one challenge I am doing, you know, book bloggers tend to make these challenges, as do booktubers, where you're going to read X amount of books in this category or from that author. And this year, I said I wasn't really going to do that. I didn't do it last year either. I mean, I think the pandemic just made me feel like I'm just going to read whatever I'm in the mood for. But there is a book blogger named Liz Dexter, who blogs at librofulltime.wordpress.com. She's doing a Larry McMurtry challenge. He recently passed away, and he's one of her favorite writers, so she wants to revisit a lot of her favorites, so she put this challenge out and invited people. And one of my favorite books is Lonesome Dove by him, and that was part of a series of four books that he wrote about the same characters set in the 1840s, 1850s to 60s, 1870s, and then 1890s. So I'm going to be starting with Dead Man's Walk, which is set in the 1840s. And then there's Comanche Moon, Lonesome Dove, and Streets of Laredo, which I don't know if I read the Streets of Laredo. I know I bought my sister a copy of it when she moved to Laredo. <laughs> huh. yeah. The gentleman caller just got a Larry McMurtry book out of a little free library, and it's mm. sitting on my coffee table, and I'm trying to remember which one it is. It yeah. might be that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know he has a whole, like, a Houston Chronicle that's set in the 60s, maybe, 70s which one of those is Terms of Endearment, which is a book. I I mean, really, it's one of those. I never saw the movie because I always thought I want to read the book first. And now it's like 40 years later. (laughs) (laughs) So is she doing like a read along of specific books throughout the year? Is that how she's doing it? Yeah, she has some she has a list of the ones she's going to be rereading. And then she'll write a review or a blog post and then welcome people to contribute their own comments or link to their own blogs 
I also want to focus on the 19th century, which, you know, a lot of my reading falls into that time period anyway. And so I thought these four books by McMurtry would be perfect for that. And I am a little, you know, kind of curious to see how representations of indigenous Americans will play out in his novels. Yeah. Part of me is a bit apprehensive and part of me thinks I'll be in good hands. But, you know, these books were written. Yeah. Lonesome Dove came out in 85. So, you know. A long time ago. Yeah. Yep. Or current day, as I recently said. (laughs) (laughs) That's shocking, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, Saeed Jones, in his memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, there was this beautiful portion where he talked about he and his mom at the beginning of the year would not do New Year's resolutions, but they would do determinations. Mm. And I just love the idea of that. And he actually, I follow him via a newsletter that he puts out and he wrote this thing. And he also does voice memos with his newsletters where he wrote and talked about that determinations doesn't feel like it's working for him this year, just because of the state of the pandemic and everything. It just feels almost too heavy to think about that and that he's focusing on gratitude instead, which I think is lovely. And I'm a fan of a gratitude journal. When I first moved here, I wrote my 10 gratitudes every day. So I'm circling back to that. I've gotten out of the habit of it. That's going to be one of my journaling goals for this year. But then also, I actually like the idea of determinations. And that feels good to me about certain things. But I think I could risk becoming overdetermined to do something. So one of my reading determinations is weekly, and I hope I'm not causing myself too much strife that seems attainable to read something from all of the food writing books I have sitting behind me. What I mean by that could even just be picking up one of my cookbooks and reading a recipe out of a cookbook. I love reading anything written about food. And I just feel like I don't pick my books up enough and read them. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be one of my determinations. I'm a very upholder, calendar driven person. So I'm almost tempted to actually calendar time to do that. That a would, day a week. Yeah, that that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Because it gives yourself the space, not just the intention to follow through, but the space in your brain to yeah. say, oh, good, I have this time. Now I can actually just sit down and enjoy this. Right. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. So that's one of my big goals slash determinations for the year. And then I have all of our listeners to be my accountability partners out in the world <laughs> as I share them. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking about when I had this experience recently with reading this big book, feeling kind of in the middle of it, like I was going to put it down and then having a friend reach out to me and say, you know, really go for it or just say something like when Russell did this twice for me in this last couple of weeks that he said, keep going with that book. And then with Jamie Attenberg's memoir, he said something that just turned my perspective on it just a little bit. And so it made me realize I want to do more buddy reading this year because I do think, you know, with our read-alongs, certainly when we have the conversation with each other and with our listeners, it shines a completely different light on the experience of reading the book. So I want to do that with more of just my own reading by either partnering with someone to read it or just reaching out to somebody who has already read it or is currently reading it. Nice. Well, I always read one biography of a woman writer. I try to anyway each year. And so I have two on my shelves and I might try and do both of them. We'll see. One is a biography of Sarah Orne Jewett by Blanchard 
I didn't put her first name down. Sorry about that. And also to read some more Sarah Orne Jewett, especially like maybe her novel Deep Haven. We'll see. And then I also have a biography by Anne Boyd Rue of Constance Fenimore Wilson. And then I have the Library of America edition of Wilson's works, who was like one of the most popular 19th century writers who was considered to be so literary and better than Henry James and like America's Jane Austen type level of writer. But then she died and her writing, it was with so many women writers, was just swept away Mm. when the literary establishment decided to be a boys club. But when the profession of literature and literary studies was starting to become a profession, that's when those names that we now can think about when we think about 19th century literature were solidified. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That's an interesting thing because it is kind of like, why do we read what we read from the past? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do some of these books hold up? Like no one really talks about Hawthorne anymore. Mm -hmm. And 30 years ago they did. Right. I will enjoy hearing about those women after you read the books because I will live vicariously through you. Awesome. And (laughs) and I you with the cooking. Yes, Yes. Yes. So reminder to everybody about, I know it seems like a little while ago that we talked about our read-along. The next read-along is... A Snake Falls to Earth. And we have a copy as a giveaway. So if you are a subscriber to our newsletter, you are automatically entered to win a copy of that book. If you are not yet a subscriber to the newsletter, go to bookcougars.com and there is a subscribe tab on the website. All you have to do is give us your email address. We send out one newsletter a month. That's it. Yes. And it's usually short and to the point. That's it's, right. Yeah. And contains sweet little pictures of us. <laughs> <laughs> and books. And books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We wish you so much. Happy, Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then... Come chat with us on social media. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, we would love to have you join our community. All of the books that we talked about in this episode are listed in the show notes, which you can find at bookcougars.com. Each book will link to our bookshop.org page where your purchase will help support not only the book cougars, but also independent bookstores everywhere. And if you're an audiobook listener, We do have a special offer from Libro.fm. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, that's bookcougars.com. Thanks, everybody. This episode is edited by Pat Keogh Sound Design.